This is episode number 57 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And today on the podcast, we have a guest who's local to me in Peterborough, Canada, um, Jessica Dalladay, who will be sharing her experience with having an eating disorder and infertility and then her journey to becoming pregnant. So thank you so much, Jess, for being on today. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I love your podcast. Um, I've been listening to it religiously, um, especially while I was pregnant, because I had a lot of questions that I got answered by listening to your podcast. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And for those listening who don't know, Jess uh, welcomed her daughter, Rachel, a little over two months ago. Um, and we were just chatting before we hit record about sleep and babies and yes. lack of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole new world. Yeah. I think so, I have like this weird instinct that just allows me to survive on two hours of sleep. Though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. So for those who don't know Jess, um, I'm going to share a little bit about her and then we'll dive into uh, the topic for today. So um, Jess Dalladay has a master's degree in kinesiology, is a certified athletic therapist, Pilates instructor, and newly certified postnatal fitness specialist through Jesse's Fitness Academy. After spending most of her life dieting and exercising religiously, trying to become the healthiest version of herself, Jess realized that she was actually doing more harm than good when she found out she couldn't get pregnant because of her lifestyle. After battling through a year of recovery from hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is loss of period, caused by her eating and exercise disorder, Jess was finally able to get pregnant and since then has changed her view on how she exercises, eats, and her overall body image. Um, so many things that we want to chat with you about today and absolutely um, just your journey through all of that. And because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with hypothalamic amenorrhea or HA. So Jess, can you share a bit kind of what that is and how you discovered you're actually experiencing it? Yeah, for sure. So I don't have the textbook definition per se, but um, what it is, is um, part of your brain called your hypothalamus. It actually regulates um, kind of your body's functions and things like that, if you want to get into the real science-y stuff. Um, and essentially, when you put yourself under extreme stress, whether that's from like stress from just your work or your life, whether it's exercise or restricting food, um, that all creates a lot of stress in your body. And then your brain says, okay, um, we need to start conserving energy. So we're going to start shutting bodily systems down to help save energy. So the first thing to go is typically your reproductive or fertility system. So as soon as your body senses that it's in danger, essentially, it will shut that down right away because it says, 
you can't have babies right now because your body's under too much stress and it's not safe. So it's something that's completely innate and biological that you have no control over. And it's different for everybody. So there's a different threshold for everyone. Because what I found really frustrating is that I had friends who were like, super thin and exercised a ton and got pregnant instantly. Whereas me, I lost my period and had my hair falling out. I was tired all the time. My thyroid um, got out of whack as well. So I had hypothyroidism um, and I lost my period and wasn't ovulating at all. So I wasn't able to get pregnant. And just to be clear, my BMI was actually within normal range. Um, it wasn't underweight. And a lot of people have that misconception that you have to be underweight in order to have your fertility affected. But it's totally how your body handles stress. So some people just have a higher threshold than others. Yeah, such a good point about the BMI there. Thank you for mentioning that. Okay, so give us a bit of the backstory. You lost sure. your period for a year. What was happening before that leading up to this? Yeah, so I actually probably had lost my period for several years, but I was on birth control since the age of 15. Um, and that was because I had irregular periods that were really painful. Um, and then I'm sure that's very common for a lot of people. And then I hadn't gone off birth control until I was ready to try to get pregnant. And then that's when I didn't get a period for a whole year. So I probably didn't have one for years leading up to that. Um, so my lifestyle um, before I was trying to actively get pregnant, before I realized what HA was, was that I would be restricting food in terms of different food groups, um, using my fitness pal, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but to really track how many calories I was consuming and where they were coming from and just tracking all my food and just really putting a limitation on how much I could eat. And I had like specific snacks that I would have at certain times and I wasn't listening to my body when I was hungry. I had this set of food and calories that I had each, each day. And then the exercise component was really big for me. So being, um, in the fitness realm. So working as an athletic therapist and a Pilates instructor, my life revolved around fitness. So I would bike to and from work when I was living in Toronto. Um, I would work out when I was at work because we had a gym. I would do like another Pilates class where to actually physically do it, the Pilates, and then I'd bike home and then I would take my dog on a walk. And I was just exercising for probably two hours a day minimum um, and doing that religiously. So I would feel guilty if I didn't get a certain amount of exercise each day and using my Fitbit to track all my steps and just kind of tracking everything way too much. Um, and then, of course, I was working three jobs, too. So I was teaching at the university, at York University, teaching um, at my at a Pilates studio, and then I was working as an AT at a clinic. So I think everything mixed together was just a recipe for disaster. And at the time, I was in felt like I was in amazing shape, but I was running on like fumes, essentially, like I was getting up at 435 in the morning, going to bed at 10 or 11 at night and just, yeah, not sleeping enough. There was a lot of things I wasn't um, being very kind to my body about. And what, um, what made you look more into this? Or like, how did you know, something was up? Was there like a moment? Was it the infertility that made you one day be like, you know what, something I need to look into something else? Or was it like a health professional that ended up, you know, putting the pieces together? How did that come about? 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I went off of birth control in um, October of 2016. And then I think by like Christmas time, I still hadn't had my period. And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. like, this is weird. I wonder why this could be. And I ended up just researching it myself. Like, what, why would you lose a period? And then I came across the term hypothalamic amenorrhea and then started reading a lot about it. And I was like, I am textbook this case. Like, everything is showing up like exactly as it's showing in the research. And then um, when I got my blood work back from my doctor, because after three months I told her I didn't have a period and she said, well, let's just investigate it. And sure enough, my hormone levels were almost all at zero um, because my body was just not producing any like um, estrogen or progesterone. And that was also showing that it wasn't ovulating. Um, And that's kind of like textbook hypothalamic amenorrhea as well. It's kind of your thyroid is usually your hypothyroid and then you've got really low levels of hormones including your testosterone too so they also diagnosed me with PCOS because there's a very like they overlap quite a bit because I did have cysts on my ovaries um, and then I had a loss of a period so they just need two out of a certain number of symptoms to diagnose you with PCOS so I was diagnosed with that as well but when you looked at my hormone profile um, it wasn't um, in line with PCOS. So typically you have higher testosterone um, and you do have, I think that's usually it. Like sometimes there's um, like hair growth that you can have kind of more on your face. And then what else? Acne is another thing that comes with PCOS. And so they do kind of go hand in hand. So doctors don't really pay too much attention to HA. And as soon as they see like loss of period, they're like, oh, you probably have PCOS and don't counsel you on HA at all. And the treatment for PCOS is to actually lose weight (laughs) and to exercise more, and which is the exact opposite of what HA would be. So it's really confusing. And for a long time, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I don't know, like I could be trying to gain all this weight. And then it just turns out that's actually harming my fertility. So it was really tricky to navigate because I didn't find any health professionals like my fertility doctor didn't help me at all. So I actually read a book called No Period, Now What? by um, Nicola Rinaldi. She's a PhD who did her PhD on HA. And um, I followed her guidelines exactly. And that's what helped me recover. Oh, geez. So many similarities (laughs) in my story here from years and years of being on birth control, going off birth control, not getting a period, really like orthorexia signs Mm. and symptoms um okay let's back up just a second when you were on the pill you were having monthly bleeds yes I was okay yeah so that I think is confusing for some people too and that was my situation as well I was having these regular monthly bleeds on the birth control pill but that's not a true menstrual period like your cycle is dictated by these levels of hormones that you're taking so similar to you as soon as I went off the pill I didn't get an actual menstrual cycle for many months as well it took about a year for to really come back with any sort of regularity um I just want to back up to what you're saying, though, about being in the fitness industry and feeling like you needed to really, like, conform to these standards of perhaps what a health or wellness or fitness professional professional might perhaps look like or what they might do with their lifestyle. Did you feel a lot of pressures in that sense? Yes, absolutely. Like, as I was starting to understand what I had to do in order to recover, it was 
almost like I was in denial for a long time and thought that I was going to be the exception to the rule and that I wouldn't have to necessarily gain much weight. I could still continue to exercise. And it took me a really long time to accept that I had to let go of this ideal body image that I had in my head. Um, and I think a lot of that was because I was working in that industry and everyone, I, not everyone, I think I had the perception that everyone thought that I needed to look a certain way. So then I felt I had to fit that mold too. So notice like Pilates instructors, if you ever see them, they're very tall and thin and, um, and I was trying to model my body after that quite a bit. And I think that led me down a, a bad road <laughs> and, yeah, I felt like I lost a lot of my identity when I went through this fertility journey because I used exercise as a way to cope with stress. Um, and then finding out that it was causing my body the most stress was it was challenging in so many ways. Like I to try to overcome that, you finding a different way to cope with things is also really hard. So, yeah, it's multifaceted. <laughs> Yeah, and something else you mentioned, Jess, that I was surprised at is that all the health professionals you saw, including fertility specialists, had like, did they they had never heard of this, or did you ever bring it up and they were like, no, no, it's not that, or like, how how was that dialogue? Yeah, so I think my original doctor, my family doctor, said I had PCOS, and I was thinking like, I don't think I do. Um, so I went to a fertility doctor and I told her I thought it was HA and she was like, well, you also have all of these ish like factors that say it's PCOS. So once she got my blood work back, she said, it looks like it's more HA and then wanted me to start on fertility meds immediately and didn't, that was just, like, she knew about it, but she didn't counsel me on it at all. And a lot of other doctors that I saw, I didn't see that many other doctors, but other ones, they didn't, they just brushed it off. Like they didn't think it was necessarily a real thing or if there was anything you could do about it. They just wanted to push fertility meds on me immediately. So, um, and me knowing like I had done the research and knowing that, okay, like a lot of these drugs aren't going to work or they're going to have to resort to IVF if I'm not recovered fully yet because my body's just going to, it's not ready for a baby yet. Um, so understanding that going into it was really hard, but I think it helped me long to, in the long run because I've seen so many people just jump into IVF really fast because it's it's usually an easier way to get um, pregnant when you are dealing with this without having to put in the work of reducing your exercise and increasing your food intake and essentially gaining weight. And it's, yeah, I see it a lot more now or hear about it a lot more, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you're saying, um, it can not that IVF is ever, uh, like perhaps the, as you're saying, the easiest solution in that sense, like obviously that process yeah. is so difficult. No, but what you're <laughs> saying is <laughs> like you had to uncover so much of this background stuff that was going on for you and your body before Ooh. going to the next phase yes. of things. So what did that look like for you? Like how, what was the next step after seeing these medical professionals? What did you do next? Well, I was like, I guess this is kind of a blessing in disguise, but I found out that I also had like a uterine abnormality. So I had, so it's a septate uterus where your uterus is kind of separated into two. So I had to, I decided I wanted to have that surgery um, to kind of resect that and fix it before I went in 
before I started doing fertility treatments if I had to do that. So in Canada, it takes forever to get <laughs> any kind of medical procedure done. So I was waiting for a while to have the surgery. So in that time, I decided to take that time to try to recover. Um, and I started with the food by eating more, just taking restrictions off of the eating and allowing all food groups as okay food groups, um, which took a lot of mental work, but it's definitely easier to just eat than it is to do it. Like I found the exercise portion to be really um, challenging for me to stop exercising. I ended up quitting one of my jobs because I just found it was too much for me to handle at the time. Um, so yeah, it looked kind of like I started adding more food in slowly every every day, probably um, adding a lot more fats into my diet because I wasn't eating enough of those, a lot more carbs too, because I was eating barely any of those. And then the exercise piece took almost a year before I finally stopped exercising. Like I started cutting out the high intensity exercises, the runs, which like, it was so crazy to see how, how addicted I was to exercise going through this process because I would know exactly what I was doing and I would just go for a run. I'm like, I just need to do this. And as I'm running, I'm having this internal conflict. Like, why am I running right now? Like, this makes no sense. I know I'm harming my body, but I just had this need or urge to do it. And um, so after cutting out the, like slowly cutting those out, I started cutting out the strength training and then the longer yoga and longer Pilates sessions and just went to walking. And even then I started to slow down my walks and just reduced the time that I spent exercising and until I stopped exercising for like a couple weeks on end. And that is, it took about a month of not exercising and then my period came back. So it was, I needed to do that. So I ended up having to have two surgeries. So after that, I was getting pretty antsy to conceive. So we um, decided to try fertility medications just to increase our chances of getting pregnant. Um, I was ready to take that route. So I was taking oral medications um, and driving to Toronto when I had moved to Peterborough already. So I was doing that almost every day or every other day to do cycle monitoring. And then um, my first cycle, I ended up getting a cyst. So they had to cancel it. So that was like very annoying <laughs> um, and frustrating. And then the second cycle looked really good. I stopped responding like halfway through for some reason. And so they had to give me more medication to um, like an injection, injectable medication to help me ovulate. And then I thought that everything, like I thought I was going to get pregnant that month. And then um, of course I didn't. So that was really devastating. And I was still in a place where I was really like looking trying to control things again like I was still trying to do too much to try to get pregnant so I was for the whole year I had been trying to do acupuncture drinking teas um just researching more and more what could I add to try to get pregnant um and I was still in that headspace where I thought that there was something I could do that I could change that would just help me get pregnant and one more thing I could add and that would be the one thing that would help me get pregnant and um, and just trying to take my temperature and doing all of those things like the ovulation predictor kits and testing like um, my like to see if I was pregnant every day almost <laughs> like it was almost obsessive and I got into a really bad headspace with that too so it was 
I kind of channeled all of my energy from food and exercise into how to get pregnant. And I overdid, I think I created more stress on myself again there. So I decided um, after that month, I couldn't keep going the way I was going because I was literally like my happiness was just hinging on pregnancy tests and ovulation tests. And it's just not a really great way to live your life, um, especially when they're always negative. So I decided to take a different approach. I talked to my family doctor and we decided to start anti-anxiety um, medications as well. And I had sort of gotten to the point where I thought that I would, I needed a little extra help because I wasn't coping well by myself, even using all of the natural remedies that I had been trying. And uh, we did an unmonitored cycle. I switched doctors. So I started going to the Oshawa Clinic, which is less, it's only an hour drive instead of two hours. And um, just took, still took medication to help me ovulate, but I took a very different approach where I didn't do any of the things that you're supposed to to try to get pregnant. So I drank wine whenever I felt like it. I um, relaxed. I didn't do any of any testing or anything like that. And that was the month that I got pregnant. So I think it was just me needing to really just listen to like allow my body to do what it needed to do and just stop trying to control it. I tried to, I've been trying to control my body pretty much my whole adolescence and in adulthood. And it was finally when I let go of that and let my body do what I had to do it, it, it did it for me. So <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. I really appreciate you talking through all that because I think so many people are nodding along right now and mm -hmm. can just relate to so many aspects of your story. I would love if you could talk to us more about the fears that might have come up for you when you consciously knew you needed to add in more food and reduce your exercise. Oh my God. Yeah, that was honestly, it's still the hardest part. I still struggle with it today. Just gaining weight. Like I had to put on, um, I don't know if you're doing numbers here, but you can cut this part out if you want, but I had to gain 25 pounds to get to my body to a place where I stayed at that weight. And I, my body was kind of happy and that's where I, when I got my period back to. So I, yeah, it was really hard mentally because in my head I was thinking, oh my God, I'm just undoing all of these years of exercise. Like I've been trying to get to the certain size and the certain body image for so long and then undoing it all. It was a really hard struggle mentally to do that. And then um, now after like postpartum being okay with, being at the size again like and just knowing that my body is this is where it stays naturally and this is where it's happy um it's still a struggle every day when I look in the mirror and I say oh my god I remember when I used to kind of have abs and now I'm just so soft but you know what I'm embracing it I'm trying to embrace it every day um and listening to podcasts like yours and so changing my social media accounts to show people that have more of that positive body image and just normal people that aren't like ripped. <laughs> that isn't really ideal. And realizing what I had to go through to get to that body too. I like basically gave up my life to look a certain way and it's, it's just not worth it. Um, like there's so much more that I've gained with gaining weight than, than just the weight. Like it's, I've gained my life back. I've gained the food freedom, the exercise freedom um, and just, 
yeah, I just feel happier overall. I feel happier now at this weight than I ever was before when I was thinner. And I always thought I would be so happy once I reached this goal weight, but you never get happy. You just always keep pushing the bar more and more and more until you, yeah, you can just spiral out of control. So I've learned a very valuable lesson. It's still hard. Like, it's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm in love with my body. It's perfect. It's, there's always things that I wish I could change, but I'm just learning to accept them now and realize what I'm gaining instead of, of, of that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so key how you talk about it's an ongoing journey. It's not that you've gone through it. It's no longer a struggle. It's, you know, it's in your past that it's something that comes up. And I was wondering if you could share either maybe there are things you do now or things you did before initially when you talked about having to decrease your exercise and that was such a challenge. Did you, and because you felt addicted to exercise, was there anything you replaced it with? I know some people who have addictions and they replace something with something else. Was that something that was helpful yes. for you? or <laughs> Yeah, my business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sitting at the computer for hours and hours. Um, yeah, I actually did start my blog at the time that I found out about HA and it was, it was cathartic for me to do that. Like I felt like I could channel my energy into doing this. Um, and it felt like I was still, I wasn't being lazy essentially. I think that's where I, I sort of had that negative connotation with. So I guess with society, we're taught that if we aren't exercising regularly then we're considered lazy and that's something I definitely internalized so being able to replace the exercise with working um, on my blog and creating my website and creating recipes and things like that brought me a lot of joy um, and it was I was learning something new so it was a really great distraction for me too girl yes there's so many things yes. that I, I want to <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk about that being lazy and rest, because I think that is so important too, especially for um, people who are interested in health and fitness and exercise and all that stuff. We absolutely do have this idea, there's this narrative around resting that is saying that we're lazy and we should be doing more and we need to have more productivity in our lives. And exactly mm -hmm. what you said, like we need to rest, your body needed rest rest and so it's this whole reframing of these ideas around resting in our culture and our society and especially geared to women as well yeah absolutely like it's I thought like as I was telling you with my fertility I thought I just needed to keep adding things in to get pregnant but it was really the opposite I needed to be taking things away constantly and yeah it's really even now, so with social media and things like that, I'm just feeling, I feel the pressure every day that I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And I, that's just no way to live your life. Like if you're constantly feeling like you need to be doing more and more, then I just feel like you're always going to be, well, tired, first of all, but also just disappointed. Like you're missing out on so much that's happening in the present when you're just like hustling or um, over exercising too. like, I don't know, I could go on and on about this. It's just something I've had to embrace where I've had to take things away to feel, to feel better and happier. Um, and to be okay with taking them away is a, is a hard thing to do too. Like it's, 
you do feel lazy, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know what, like, this is not like doing all this stuff isn't important. Like what's important is my family, my health. Um, and I guess just having that perspective of, and like, I try to preach that a lot in my blog and then having to practice it is, is totally, a totally different thing. Like <laughs> I find it really hard to slow down. So I have to take my own advice a lot of the time too. And I think I share a lot of that stuff online because it's what I need to hear most too. And I need to teach what I need most. So. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, totally. People are always like, thank you so much for saying that. And you're like, I wrote it for myself actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do every day. Yeah. It's like my journal that I get to do. Same, same. Um, I also really love that you mentioned all these things that you were doing to prepare for pregnancy. And I think in mm-hmm. our industry as well, that's a very common thread right now. Um, and I used to talk about people who are trying to conceive and here's how you could exercise to prepare your body for pregnancy. And I've cut that messaging because I think it is damaging uh, because we try to do all these health things to make our bodies healthier to prepare for pregnancy, but often it can just turn into this obsession with doing more and more and more. Going back to what we're saying about we need to cut more so than we need to add in most cases. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that if we are trying so hard with exercise and food to make our bodies a certain composition or have a certain amount of fat muscle be a certain size that is a sign that that is not a quote-unquote healthy place for our body if we have to work so hard to keep our body at a certain size we need to change something our bodies naturally have this place that they want to hang out and the effort there hopefully should be minimal for us to just exist and to live in this body at the size that it wants to be at. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. Like when I was working towards that ideal body size I had in my head, it was, it would take so much work to get there. And I remember telling myself, this is just what everybody has to do to get to that body size. Like I'm just like everyone else who like I looked up to at that time, all those fitness models and said, this is just the price you have to pay. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, that is so stupid. (laughs) It's like, it's not in my head. I'm like, what was I doing? Like how many hours of my life did I spend counting calories and running miles and miles and just not like pushing my body beyond its limits just to look a certain way. It's, and another thing I wanted to add into that is that a lot of people have fears around get it gaining a lot of weight once they start their recovery process if this is something they're struggling with and you will gain like weight quickly that's for sure but your body will level out like it's your body does have a set point and that um you typically will stop binging on foods to that's a whole other story but once you let yourself eat what you want to eat all the time food really loses its appeal like I don't even think about food now unless I'm starving or like unless I'm hungry <laughs> um, and then I'm like oh I should eat something and I eat what I feel like eating now and then it that thought of food is gone and before it used to preoccupy my mind so yeah and for anyone who's not following Jess which we'll put her uh, links in the show notes her smoothie bowls uh, oh, yeah. always look amazing <laughs> currently addicted to those right now (laughs) and so you you've shared about um 
kind of your experience going through changing exercise and eating to gain your period back and to get pregnant. I was wondering if you could share then once you were pregnant, what was that dialogue with yourself about body image and eating and exercise? Could you feel yourself go back towards that because you were gaining weight with being pregnant, which is very normal? Um, So yeah, what was there an internal conflict with that or how how did you um, experience it? Yes, absolutely. I started to go backwards right away when the weight started coming on um, very quickly. Um, I remember being okay with the weight gain until I got to the point where I think I started to show. I think the first trimester, I was so sick, I didn't even care anyways. But once I felt was feeling better and was actually starting to show a little bit, I started getting comments from other people. And that is when I started to revert back to my old ways and my old thinking. Because people would say, are you sure you're not having twins? Like, are you sure your due date is right? You're really big for this many weeks. And, oh, I remember I I was in a friend's wedding and I was trying, my um, bridesmaid's dress got too small and I had to have it taken out. And one of the seamstress there um, commented on the fact that she had a, girl that was in earlier who was pregnant with twins and she was full term and was the same size as me and meanwhile I was like 18 weeks I think and I'm like oh my god like she made me feel like I should be cutting out or cutting out more food and start exercising more because I was too big for how many weeks I was along and I found myself comparing going on Pinterest and looking at what women looked like at certain weeks and should I be that size am I too big or yeah, so I was struggling with that for sure, um, and I it's something I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to other people commenting on my body size like that before. The comments from other people were definitely harder to deal with um, than I thought they were going to be, um, but I had to just, you know, go back to thinking like, okay, this is my body is growing at the way it's supposed to be growing, and I've got to listen to it and still be kind to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about that before. Those comments can really affect you in negative ways if this is uh, something that you have struggled with in the past or currently are. So I think that, again, is something that a lot of people will relate with. And I just want to mention that you kind of do need to put blinders on in pregnancy and postpartum and maybe your whole life forever and ever (laughs) because people like to comment on bodies, which is very interesting, especially on pregnant and postpartum bodies. So blinders on. And as I always remind my clients, trust that your body is doing exactly what it needs to do and not just during pregnancy, but postpartum too. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about your postpartum journey. You're only two months postpartum right now, super early. But what has it been like to not have a baby in your body and now just this is your body as it is currently? Where are you at mentally with that? Um, I'm actually feeling pretty good, except when I put my pre-pregnancy jeans on and I don't feel very good anymore. So I just avoid wearing those. Um, But otherwise, I'm feeling good. Like, I couldn't believe how fast, like... I felt like I lost all of the weight in like a week and I didn't do anything. And I think it was just from breastfeeding and obviously your body has a lot of fluid in it. (laughs) Um, So that was really nice. But then I still had like five or 10 pounds that kind of have been sticking around. Um, And I 
am just okay with that because I know that I need that body fat to feed my baby and it's there for a reason. Um, because when it, when I stopped losing weight, I was like, okay, now should I start exercising really hard? Like, do I need to stop eating as much? And I was listening, I think it was to your podcast, um, or no, it was in your, your postnatal specialist course where you had an expert on and she was talking about how you need to have that extra five to 10 pounds after you give birth so that you can create breast milk and people that cut calories out too quickly or exercise too intensely can actually decrease their milk supply. And I didn't know that before. So I was like, oh, so this is normal. So this is supposed to be here. So once I accepted that and I felt like, okay, this is what my body's going to be like right now for the next little while, I've been okay with it. And I've been slowly adding exercise in just to feel good um, and to get out doing walks and things like that. So yeah, I'm in a much better place now. And I think if I hadn't gone through this journey beforehand, it would have been a lot harder to deal with the pregnancy itself. And then the um, weight that I have now and postpartum that is, is sticking around, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> Good. That's good to hear. Um, I'm going to push you just a little bit. Sure. Because you said the weight came off quickly. Yes. And that was nice. Why does that feel nice? And what if it didn't come off? I don't know. (laughs) That is one thing I think about too. I'm like already kind of in this fear mentality of like, okay, what if after I have my next baby, because I do plan to have another baby, I don't know when, but I'm like, what if the weight doesn't fall off right away and it stays around for a bit harder, like how for a bit longer? Like, how am I going to deal with that? Because I, yeah, I was, I feel lucky that well, I don't know why I say I feel lucky. Oh my gosh, there's so much, yeah, so much language good. that has just been ingrained into my head that weight loss is so like good, but it's not. It's not necessarily a good thing. It should be neutral. So, um, I think. I don't know how I'm going to, how I would deal with it. I think I'd be okay with it, obviously, because I'm trying to be okay with my body at this new size, but I think um, it would take just a little bit more help um, and support, I think, from other people and resources. Um, My husband's been awesome throughout, like, the weight gain. Honestly, he said he doesn't even notice (laughs) And that's the whole thing. Like, I think I'm so in my head, and I think a lot of us are in our heads, about our weight when nobody else really notices except us like and that's the part I have to start remembering is that this is my body this is how it what it needs to do right now and um yeah and I am my own worst critic so just yeah remembering that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, thank you for being so honest. I ask because these are the conversations that go in in my head too, and in so many of my clients. And um, it has been—I've had different postpartum experiences like you. My body got smaller faster the first time around postpartum, and this time my body was bigger going into pregnancy. It got bigger during pregnancy. It's bigger postpartum. So the self-talk for me is kind of always in the background, like you said. Yes with eating disorder and um exercise obsession recovery it is I feel like it's going to continue to be a lifelong process for me and I'll just give a current example that's happening in my life because my husband is currently training for a jujitsu 
competition match I don't really know what they call them tournament I think it's a tournament and so he has to reach a certain weight class and that weight class is not entirely out of reach but he is restricting food right now he's restricting calories because his body weight needs to be at a certain point and for me I just can't talk about it with him that much we can have some conversations around it and he's weighing himself daily But for me, I just kind of need to block it out a little bit because I know that it can get to a point where it will be triggering. It's about his body, but I cannot let those ideas come into my space too much. So it is blinders for me for literally years now. And I just, while I'm more comfortable being able to, being able to have my body shift and change when I have these narratives around restriction or making body smaller come into come into my life into my psyche I just have to be really cognizant about how I'm managing that yeah totally understand that and yeah I have to do the same thing like I'm just filtering everything that comes in now like on social media that used to be one of my biggest triggers and now just unfollowing all of those people that aren't that don't share the same message as me um anymore or one that I don't align with and following those that do and that's been really helpful for me and I was wondering Jess if you can share um for those who are listening who maybe are like oh maybe I have HA uh, they might suspect they do um, or maybe they've recently been diagnosed with it what would be some tips you would give them whether it's about um, internal dialogue or exercise or food, like what would be tips that you would give them to help them get through it? Yeah. So my first tip would definitely be to buy the book, No Period, Now What? Because it was full of really good research and also just case studies of women showing success stories. And that I think was the biggest thing that helped me going or to help me to keep going with this journey was seeing other people succeed and because I think you're always questioning, like, is all this, like, weight gain and changing my whole lifestyle for a reason? Like, I don't know how many times I question myself every day, like, am I doing this? Is this going to actually work? And I think that's probably the biggest question that other people that get diagnosed with it will have. Um, and it does work. It does, for sure. Um, I'm obviously living proof that it does. But there's tons of case studies in there where it, it just shows that. Um, so I would get a resource like that. Um, there's Facebook groups online for it as well that you can join. And that was really helpful. Um, sometimes it was challenging though. It could be triggering too. So just being wary of that, like I had to kind of cut myself off of that group for a bit. Um, because yeah, it's really helpful sometimes, but then other times it can be triggering. So just knowing yourself in that regard. And then, um, yeah, adding fats into your diet, removing restrictions on your diet if you can. Like if you have to, for health reasons, that's a different story. But if you can take all restrictions off food and just allow yourself to eat naturally and like what you want to eat. And you'll probably crave a lot of junky foods at first, but eventually you'll, your body will start to want to eat vegetables again, I promise. <laughs> um, and then with the exercise, I found replacing it with just a – Um, less intense form of exercise. So I was doing a lot of yoga, Pilates, and walking rather than running and high intensity um, type exercises. And just, I just made them a bit shorter um, as well. And 
yeah, just not doing like advanced classes of those, like doing just a little bit lighter than what I would normally want to do. Um, and that seemed to be helpful for my, like the mental aspect and then just, um, openly sharing with people about your journey too was, was really helpful for me. And when other people know that you're going through this, they're a lot more supportive and they're not going to make comments about your weight either, which I think is really helpful. Um, because I think if people were to notice that and say something to you, that would be a huge trigger for me. Um, so being honest and open and saying like, I'm, I have this issue if you're comfortable talking about your fertility, of course, but I think the more we talk about fertility issues, um, the easier it's going to be for everyone to just talk about them and make them commonplace too. So chatting about that with people that, um, know will support you too. Um, yeah. And just being honest and open with your partner too, I think is really helpful. Like having his support throughout the whole process was really helpful for me and him just telling me that I still look good every day was just enough to say, okay, like I still look good. <laughs> like, I don't know why so much of, of a lot of my happiness is kind of tied into that external piece. Um, that I'm realizing is coming out in this podcast, but I don't know. It, it, it is a part that I can't deny it, that looking good is something that's important to me. And knowing that I look good at this weight now is, is something that makes me happy still too so yeah and that's okay right I think that often we're like oh I shouldn't worry about what my body looks like at all but that's just a really part a normal part of human existence but I think what's cool about you is like now you realize that oh I like how my body looked at this size when it was smaller and I liked how it looked when it was really big in pregnancy and now it's like soft and squishy and postpartum and I like how it looks there too that has yeah. been so powerful for me in these transitions of two full-term pregnancies, two postpartum periods. I have genuinely enjoyed what my body has looked like at all those stages, and that is powerful for me. Like I know that I can like and be in and accept and embrace and love this body, and not that that has to be anyone else's goal, but I can do that <clears throat> at a variety of different shapes and sizes. And that tells me that my body doesn't need it to be at any particular size for me to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cool. I love it. Okay, Jess, thank you so much for your candid conversation on this. We really appreciate it. Where can people find more about you online? Okay, well, thank you again so much for having me. I was honored to be on your podcast. Um, so online, you can find me in a couple of different places. So my blog is called The Healthy Sweet Potato. Um, so you can find that at thehealthysweetpotato.com. On Instagram, I'm uh, at The Healthy Sweet Potato, and that's where I hang out most. And then I've just launched a Pilates website for online Pilates classes. So I have a lot of prenatal. I just filmed some postnatal classes. Um, and it's all around doing exercise that feels good for your body. That's a little less intense. Um, and that's called Pilates on demand. And you can find that at Pilates on demand.ca. And then on Instagram, it's Pilates on demand underscore CA. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the to birth and beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at to birth and And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the to birth and beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 